passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. It was January 8th, 1697 at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Thomas Aikenhead was led out to the gallows. The rope was tightened around his neck, and the executioner kicked the ladder out from under his feet. And they waited. They waited until he was dead, and the twitching in his feet had stopped. Why was this 20-year-old man executed? What crime had he done? He had violated the third commandment. The the charge against Thomas was that repeatedly, willfully, unrepentantly, and high-handedly, he had consistently, for over the course of a year, cursed and cursed God and his son, Jesus Christ. And according to 16th century Scottish blasphemy laws, if you didn't repent of that, ultimately you could lose your life for that. And in Thomas Aikenhead's case, that's exactly what happened to him. Now, I don't share that illustration to suggest that we should reinstate 16th 16th century blasphemy laws in modern-day America. But I simply share that illustration to let you know how far our culture has drifted away. Today, Jesus is considered a swear word. God is considered an explicative. But at one time, if you were to use Jesus as as a swear word and God as an explicative consistently you could actually lose your life because the name of God and the name of Jesus is such a sacred thing. This summer, we are studying our way through the Ten Commandments here as a church, and we've learned that these Ten Commandments are actually not there in the Old Testament to take away our life. They are there to give us life. It was after God set his people free that he gave them the Ten Commandments to keep his people free. The Ten Commandments are actually there for our good. They're there for our joy. They're there for our happiness. They're given as a gift from God to tell us how to live nice life pleasing to Him and how to live life best for Him. Now, in previous weeks, we've looked at the first two commandments. The first commandment, God said, you should have no other gods before me or, or beside me. God says, there's only one God out there, and it's me. So worship and love me and me alone. In that message, we learned that other gods, they're either nothing more than a scarecrow, so it's a total waste of your time to worship them, or if there is any power behind them, the Bible is very clear it's a demonic power that is committed to taking your life, not to giving your life. So God says, worship him alone. Last week, we looked at the second commandment where God says, have no graven images of me. The first commandment was about worshiping the right God. The second commandment was about worshiping the right God the right way. God says, do not make any kind of an image to represent me or any kind of image to help you in worship of me. And we learned the reason why was because any images we make of God ultimately reduce him and distort him. 
Because how can you make in creation anything that would adequately or properly represent the God who made all of creation? He's far too vast, far too powerful to be encapsulated by a piece of creation. So that's why he says, worship him the right way without creating an image. Now, today, as we come to the third commandment, we move from worshiping the right God the right way to speaking about God rightly. I'd like to ask you to take out your outlines. We're going to uh, give you a bunch of notes, and go ahead. So if you're new, you're probably not familiar, but go ahead and take out your outlines. I'm going to look right here in the very top where we give you the third commandment. Let's read it together. It's real short. It says this, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It rhymes. Pretty cool. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is the way we're going to study it. First, I'm going to explain what this command means, and then I'm going to give you under it a few reasons why God gave it. Then we're going to look at how we violate it, and then we'll come back and wrap this around. How do we keep this command as a New Testament Christian, which is where we're at today? So let's dive right in. What does this command mean? When it says, don't take the Lord's name in vain, the word vain means empty, it means meaningless. It means trivially or disrespectfully. The best way to, to describe it is weightlessly. So when we speak the name of God or our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we should speak it with the reverence and awe and authority that goes with addressing and talking about God. So obviously, God's name never fits as a cuss word. It never fits as a swear word. We have to speak the name of God weightfully because of who he is. Now, let me go ahead and give you some more explanations of why we have to speak the name of God this way. And my, this would be the third command, like one of the top three here. Number one, God's name reflects his identity and character. I think some of you probably saw on the news this past week that President Trump wrote a pardon for a man named Christian Saucier. Did you guys see that in the news? You guys remember his story? He was in the Navy. He was on a submarine. He was a young guy. And uh, he thought just for memorabilia's sake, it'd be cool to take a couple pictures on the inside of the submarine that he served on. And that was discovered and he was prosecuted, prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Now, granted, he wasn't taking pictures for Russians, for Russians, uh, like, to, you know, for spy or espionage purposes. He'll admit, he was a young man, he made some foolish choices, and he'll admit, I deserve to be punished for that. That's right, I do deserve. I, I made wrong choices, and I want to own my wrong choices. But he was punished to the fullest extent of the law from some of the highest levels in government. And many people thought that was a little overdone. This past week, uh, President Trump wrote him what is a presidential pardon. You see, the one person in our government who could actually release him at this point would be the President of the United States. He has that authority. Now, the interesting part is the, I don't know if you saw any of the video interviews of Christian Sauce after he discovered that the president had written in this pardon. He spoke of the name of President Trump with great gratitude. 
great reverence, great respect, because our president is the man who saved his life. In fact, it's inconceivable that he would ever speak of President Trump's name from this point forward without great respect, without great gratitude, without great reverence. For two reasons, because of the office that he holds and because of the great deed he has done for Christian Saucier, giving him back his life. Now, here's where this applies to us. Why the president of our country may have pardoned Christian Saucier's life, our God holds a much greater office than our president ever will. He's the creator of the entire universe. He spoke everything into being. And he's done a much greater work than our president will ever do or can ever do. Our God pardoned us, but he didn't do it by simply a swipe of a pen on a piece of paper. The pardon was far costlier. He needed to send his own son to take on human flesh. And his son died on the cross, one of the most barbaric deaths ever conceived of by man. His son was literally made sin for us. His son took all of the wrath that God rightfully deserved to pour out against you and me. And his son absorbed all of it. So he died in our place for our sin. And then his son rose from the grave, conquering Satan, sin, and death, and gives us the identity of now, because of our faith and trust in Jesus, literally we are called the most blessed beings in the entire universe. When we speak of God's name, how could we ever speak of God's name without great reverence, great respect, great awe, and great admiration? How could we ever say the name of God in vain, carelessly and weightlessly because of who he is and what he has done? That's our first point. The second reason why God would say this is because God is committed actually to protecting and expanding his reputation. The psalmist says this, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Now, typically, as a church, we think, well, God is committed to the exaltation of his word. This book, the word of God, is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It's this book. But we forget, coupled with that is God's name. God is committed to his reputation in this world, to the way his name is spoken and looked at in this world. He's not just committed to protecting that, but he's committed to even expanding the reverence of that. Let's go back to the Exodus, since we're dealing with that as we, in the Ten Commandments section here. One of the interesting things about the Exodus, most people don't realize that there was a number of plagues, and they know that each plague seemed to get worse and get worse. And why did it turn out that way? The Bible tells us why God ordained that Pharaoh would have such a hard heart and not let God's people go in Exodus 9, verse 16. But for this purpose, I have raised you up, speaking of Pharaoh, to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. 
literally the scriptures say, God allowed Pharaoh to have a hard heart so God can continually do greater and greater works in the way of the plagues. Why? To make God's name even more famous. In fact, it's interesting. When you go a generation later, after the Exodus, when God's people are going into the promised land, we're talking far away from Egypt. What do we find happens there? Let me read for you this book of jo in Joshua. Speaking of the Jerichoites. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. Obviously, God did the exodus in such a way so that his name would be made famous, not just among the Israelites and the Egyptians, but really throughout the earth. Even the Jerichoites, a generation later, were still talking about how God made his name famous. Now, the scriptures also tell us another reason why we should not speak God's name in vain. And that's because God tells us literally to pray that his name would be hallowed. In the model prayer that Jesus gives us to pray, it begins like this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed simply means to be treated as holy, to be treated with respect. Now it struck me. How many of us begin our prayer life asking that God's name would be treated holy in this world and treated with respect. I don't. I'm guilty of that. But yet this is what Jesus says is the model prayer that we should be follow, follow that the reverence of God's name would be high in this earth. Another thing that scriptures tell us is this. In fact, God promises God does not hold guiltless those who speak disrespectfully about him. The second part of this commandment says this, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We think that if we see people using God's name casually or disrespectfully or as a swear word, it's no big deal because words don't matter. Freedom of speech, right? Say whatever you want and get away with it. Well, in our country, we do have freedom of speech. But why we have freedom of speech, that doesn't mean that we have freedom of speech without God-ordained consequences for how we speak about his name. I'll show you an example from the Old Testament. This comes out of the book of Leviticus. Now an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and a man of Egypt or Israel fought in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. Then they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shilameth, the daughter of Dibri, of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed. 
let all who heard him lay their hands on his head and let all the congregation stone him and speak to the people of Israel saying, whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native. When he blasphemes the name, he shall be put to death. In the Old Testament, to use God's name disrespectfully as a curse word was literally a death sentence because that's how revered God's name should be. Some of you may know this, but uh, Orthodox Jews, even to this day, they do not speak God's name in the public reading of Scripture. They come along in the Hebrew and they read Yahweh and they substitute Jehovah. They say Jehovah in place of Yahweh. It's not what the text says, but the reason they do this is because they're so afraid of speaking the word of God disrespectfully and incurring God's wrath. Now, personally, I don't agree with that. It just says, it doesn't say don't speak the name of the Lord. It says don't speak the name of the Lord casually or disrespectfully. But the point that I'm trying to make is Orthodox Jews are so concerned about this that that's why they even don't say God's name in the public reading of Scripture. Number five, another reason why he would say this, God's name deserves respect because there is power in his name. We don't think this way. We don't realize that in God's name there is literally power. We think the power is behind the name in a person or an object, but the power is literally encapsulated in God's name. Do you realize that we are saved from eternal damnation and made into completely new creations simply by calling on the name of Jesus Christ? That's how much power there is in God's name. Look what it says. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which me must be saved. Or Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If calling on the name of Jesus is powerful enough to save you from eternal damnation, how blasphemous is it to use the name of Jesus as a cuss word or a curse word? or even to speak it casually or disrespectfully if it's that powerful that can save your life. To give you an idea of the power, when you go through the book of Acts, what you find is in the book of Acts, there are demons that are cast out, all kinds of things happen, but demons are cast out by simply the name of Jesus. Look at this. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. If the name of Jesus Christ has so much authority that demons flee at the name of Jesus Christ. We can't speak it casually. We can't speak the name of Jesus disrespectfully because it is laden with power and authority. And this is what is behind this command where we never want to speak the name of God in vain, in an empty, careless, or meaningless way. Now let's have some fun. 
We've established what this command means and why God says it. Now let's look into how we often violate it. Number one, false prophets use God's name to advance their agenda. We see this in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 14, 14, And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them to command them or speak to them. They're prophesying to you a lying vision, a worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. So in the Old Testament times, we find there's actually prophets out there who are saying, Thus saith the Lord and trying to lead the people astray because the Lord did not say anything at all. They're a bunch of liars taking his name in vain to manipulate it for their own agenda. Now, does anyone here like it when people say things about you in public that you did not say? Anybody get annoyed when that happens? Everybody's hand better be up. All right. Well, if you don't like it, What do you think God feels about it? He says, don't treat my name just in a casual way and just use it to like stamp your own authority and your own agenda. And by the way, this stuff doesn't just happen in the Old Testament times. It happens today in our time. How many people are out there running around like peddling their own books, having their own conferences, and they're saying, well, thus saith the Lord, and you and I know, Trust me, God didn't say that. And they're using God's name in a manipulative way, in a false way. And they're treating it weightlessly and worthlessly to stamp their own agenda. My favorite one, though, are the guys who try to tell you when the world is going to end. You know, you've not seen those guys? I put this sign up here. This sign was actually, I took this picture of this billboard. This was right before Perkins on your way out of Arnold's Park down to Milford. Uh, by the way, just in case you're wondering, it didn't come true. Okay, this was Harold Camping's, Camping's billboard. Now, it gets me. You notice this, by the way. It just tells you that Judgment Day begins on this day. It doesn't even tell you to repent or anything. It's like, why are you telling me? You're not even telling me what to do about it. Thanks, Jeremy. So here we have a guy who is using the Lord's name in vain. He's falsely representing what the Bible says. The Bible says no one knows the day, no one knows the hour. So what makes you think, Harold Camping, that you've figured out the day? You've figured out the hour. I mean, honestly, I think you must have fallen off your bicycle and you weren't wearing a helmet. Because the scripture clearly does not say you can do that. So he is speaking the Lord's name in vain. He's using it casually, worthlessly, to market his own personal agenda, which the scriptures say is just not true. I'll give you another example. Making empty promises. Zechariah 8.17 says this, Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another, and love no false oath. That's the key part. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. When we give our word, we must keep our word. Because we're Christians. Christian literally means little Christ. So we're supposed to be representing Jesus with our life and the way we live. 
And so when a Christian says, hey, I promise I'll get this done, I promise I'll help you there, and then we just sort of casually forget and blow it off, ultimately, we're not just lowering the value of our name, but we're lowering the value of Christ's name, aren't we? Because as Christians, we represent him. We're causing God's name to be spoken in vain, casually, worthlessly, and weightlessly. Another example. Watch out for people who say, the Lord told me, or the Lord told me to tell you. By the way, uh, God can directly speak to people. We know that happens. Uh, Paul on the Damascus Road, Acts chapter 9, God spoke directly to Paul. That can happen. But there's sometimes people who say, God spoke to me, but he didn't. And they're using the Lord's name in vain. I'll give you two examples. First one is this. I was in college and we had a bunch of friends uh, were freshmen, and one guy started to date this girl, and we sort of started to realize he's spending a lot of time with this girl, and then we heard that he was sexually involved with this girl. So a couple of us guys, we got around, and they said, hey, you know, it's, it's not right to be sleeping with your girlfriend, and we, like, showed him some verses. We thought verses would help. They're usually they're a pretty good idea. Verses like this in Hebrews 13, 4, let the marriage bed be held, or let, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Dude, you shouldn't be sleeping with your girlfriend. And they had the best answer I thought was really interesting. Well, we prayed about it, and God said it's okay. The Lord told us it's all right. I'm like, really? Well, I got verses that say he didn't tell you that. You're cheating the Lord's name in vain. You're manipulating it. God didn't tell you that. And incidentally, his answer was, the Lord said it's okay because we're going to get married eventually. <laughs> Truth is, they broke up a few months later. You see how this is misrepresenting God? Single ladies, I'll give you one you have to watch out for. Watch out for the guys who say, the Lord told me to marry you. I've run across some of these guys. We were, at the time I was, when I first ran across this, I was a youth pastor. And we, at the church I was working in, we were bringing in some candidates for an associate pastor position. We had three guys, brought one guy in, and from the moment we got him off the plane, we knew something was wrong. He was terribly, terribly sad. And so we got the story. His fiance had broken up with him three days before the job interview. Oh, I can understand why you're sad. And then we ended up getting the rest of the story about how him and this woman had become engaged. He had seen her, thought she was just amazing, uh, talked to her, asked her out on a date. They had gone on just a few dates. And then he said this, you know, God told me that I'm supposed to marry you. And she was sort of swept off her feet, you know. This guy who's studying to become a pastor has just told her that God has done special revelation with him and he's supposed to marry this girl. And so she said yes, and they were engaged and things went along, at least it appeared fine, until all of a sudden she realized this guy is terrible. He's manipulative. He's controlling. And so she said to him, God may have told you to marry me, but he didn't tell me to marry you. It goes both ways. 
And what this guy was doing is he's using the name of God for spiritual blackmail on this girl. God told me to marry you, and if you don't agree with me, you're going against God. Single ladies, watch out for those guys, because God will speak to both of you, not to one of you, when it's the right time to marry somebody. Number four, don't use the Lord's name or the name of God as a swear word. Now, I know this is sort of the obvious one, but I want to dig deeper into this. We're obviously, most of us here aren't going to probably be cussing the name of Jesus Christ. But there are times when we end up using the name of Jesus Christ as a swear word. You ever used a hammer before and hit your finger? Why is it that when we hit our finger, we don't hop around the backyard saying chubby bunny, chubby bunny, chubby bunny? Or hubba bubba, hubba bubba, hubba bubba. For some reason, we go right to the top. We start using God and Jesus Christ. Well, if that is you, what I would simply say is just repent of your sin and ask God to forgive you of your sin. But the problem is ultimately deep inside your heart. The reason we say the name of God and Jesus Christ as an explicative when we're in pain, it's probably quite honestly because we don't revere and reverence the name of God that much. Or when we start to find ourselves saying it, we correct ourselves of it instantly because God's name is so awesome and so powerful. He's not a cuss word. He's not a swear word. Let me give you another example. Social media. I've been recently introduced to all of the social media shorthand. It has three letters in it. You know, like LOL, lots of laughs. But the other one that's really common is OMG. Do you use OMG in your social media? Now, I know what some of you are saying. Oh, that just means, oh my gosh. No, it doesn't. <laughs> you know what it means. I know what it means. And even if you think it means, oh my gosh, the reality is everybody else thinks it means, oh my God. And you're using God's name weightlessly carelessly as a swear word. Another way that sometimes we struggle with uh, using God's name in vain and as a swear word is what I would call Christian swearing. Now you're like, Christian swearing? Uh, what is that? Actually, I spoke on this uh, a number of years ago. Christian swearing is regular swearing that is just slightly different. So we can say we technically did not swear because we've changed it just only a little bit. I'll give you an example of what this means. Instead of saying, God damn it, we say, gosh darn it. Instead of saying, Jesus, is a swear word, we'll say, gee whiz. Instead of saying, what the hell, we say, what the heck? Instead of saying, oh my God, we'll say, oh my gosh. So we're off just a little bit so we can say, I didn't use the name of the Lord in vain. I didn't use it as a cussing word or a swearing word, but I was really, really close. Now, what do you think? Is God pleased with Christian swearing? 
do you think that most of the people that you use Christian swearing with understand the difference between Christian swearing and regular swearing? Or do they see them as probably just one and the same when you say, oh my gosh, versus oh my God? The honest truth is that we're so close to using the actual swear word, we might as well use the actual swear word because that's what most people think we're saying. The standard for what the uh, scriptures give us as to what our words should be like are like this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Unwholesome means rotten or unedifying or not building people up. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The standard for Christian speaking is not regular swearing or Christian swearing. It's to build people up with your words, to give them health and life. Another example I'll give you quickly is this. Be careful of what I call Christian cliches. While not swearing, Christian cliches still violate the third commandment because they lower the respect, the reverence, and the honor that should go with God's name. Let me show you what some of these would be. Do you know people that say, oh, praise the Lord all the time in their speech? It's Tuesday. Well, praise the Lord, it's Tuesday. Uh, I was hit by a car. Praise the Lord, it wasn't a truck. And they just throw these Christian cliches in, left and right, all the time, ultimately cheapening God's name and making it weightless and worthless. Another one is, you ever heard people say this one? Well, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. I was diagnosed with cancer this past week. Lord have mercy. Prices went up at Casey's gas pump. Lord have mercy. Like one and the same. You see, these Christian cliches ultimately end up using God's word and his name weightlessly and cheaply and ultimately violate the third commandment. Let me give you a few more quickly. Be careful of singing the name of God without meaning. Does this ever happen to you or is it just me? We're in church, we're worshiping, we're singing. We're singing about our great God and our mind is thinking about barbecue. Our mind is thinking about lunch. Our mind is thinking about the movie we saw the night before. So while we're singing the name of our great God and our great Savior, we're singing it weightlessly, worthlessly, because our mind is disconnected from our mouth. Another one. Don't claim God's name for your business if you won't represent him with your work. You've probably seen people who have business cards. They have a little fish on the corner, don't they? Because they're trying to say, hey, I'm a Christian. And by the way, I don't have a problem with that. Because the Bible does say that, you know, you should do good to everyone, especially to those of the household of God. I'm happy to hire in my life believers and to bless fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But here's the problem when you have a fish on your business card. If you're claiming to be a Christian, you have to do your work like you're a Christian. (laughs) You can't rip people off. You have to keep your word. You have to be honest in your work. In fact, you have to do work that is probably even better quality than most other 
people. It's a pretty high standard of excellence to put a fish on your business card. Or you're putting the fish on your business card in vain. Worthlessly. Weightlessly. This fish actually doesn't mean make a difference because you're not actually trying to work and do your best for Jesus. Number eight, don't use God's name to promote what is a godless agenda. Now, typically, I don't like to get political. Here we go. I'm going to get political for just a few minutes, so I'm sure some of you guys are going to talk to me afterwards. Go easy on me. But here goes a little bit of politics. 2013, in Iowa, a man named James Hatch was a Democrat running for governor. And he attended a prayer meeting along with another guy named Tyler Olson, who was a, um, in the House of Representatives representing Iowa. They attended this prayer meeting, and this prayer meeting was a prayer meeting uh, by abortionists and for abortionists. Something doesn't make sense already, right? I want you to listen to the, some of their prayer that was actually written down. We pray for women who've been, afraid, been made afraid of their own power by their paternalistic religion. We pray for the blessing of choice. We give thanks, O oh Lord, for the doctors, both current and future, who provide quality abortions. We pray for increased financial support for low-income women who have access to abortions. We pray for the families that have, that have chosen, that they may know the blessing of choice. Well, something tells me the babies that are aborted really don't like that prayer. And something tells me that God's not really in favor of that prayer. But by making that a prayer to the one God of the universe, they're speaking the Lord's name in vain, weightlessly, carelessly. They're misrepresenting God. And he says, I will not hold him guiltless who speaks my name in vain. Well, while we're at it, let's keep going. Uh, our former president, President Obama, addressed... Um, Oh, I can't think of the name of that. I forget the name of what he addressed. It's that major abortion organization. Planned Parenthood. Thank you. I needed somebody to help me with my notes. He addressed Planned Parenthood. And this is how he addressed Planned Parenthood. And notice how he ends his address. As long as we've got to fight to protect a woman's rights, to make her own choice about her own health, I want you to know that you've got a president who's going to be right there with you fighting every step of the way. Thank you, Planned Parenthood. God bless you. Now, is God really going to bless Planned Parenthood? Or is he speaking the Lord's name in vain? Casually, worthlessly, trying to use God's name to baptize his godless agenda. That's the Lord's name in vain. Let me give you one for just a little bit of fun. When it comes to speaking the Lord's name in vain, we really don't want to speak the Lord's name as a joke. Really. Now, sometimes, uh, younger Christians trying to connect with culture, they try to be creative, and they try and figure out a way they can connect with our culture and sort of have like a, a double meaning for God's words. And while I think it's a good idea, oftentimes it ends up taking the Lord's name in vain. Let me show you a shirt 
This is the Jesus Saves soccer shirt. You can buy it on the internet. Doesn't Jesus look cool with a, with a goatee? He's, you know, he's a really good-looking soccer guy there. But I want you to think about this. This is the Jesus who created the entire universe. This is the Jesus who, to obey his Father's will and out of love for us, took on human flesh. The Jesus who died the most barbaric death on the cross, as I said earlier, took on all of our sin, experienced all of God's wrath, conquered Satan's sin and death, saved billions of people from the lake of fire and eternal damnation, and is now the highest, most exalted being in the entire universe, reduced to a soccer goalie. Are you sort of catching how this is speaking the Lord's name in vain, weightlessly, worthlessly, casually? I'll give you another example as we wrap this up here. This is a Bloodweiser. Go ahead and zoom in on that one, Jeremy. There you go. Now the king of kings has become the king of beers. Now, I don't know. If you're a Christian and you're wearing this and the Lord returns... I would take it off. Like, this is not the kind of shirt you want to be wearing when you see Jesus face to face. Somehow, I don't think it will go well. So if, you know, the Lord returns and you see a guy and he doesn't have a shirt on, it's because he was probably wearing that one. He took it off. But the simple point is, once again, it's treating God's name carelessly, thoughtlessly, weightlessly. All right, what does it mean for a New Testament Christian to not use the Lord's name in vain? Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Moses, when he got the commandments on Mount Sinai, you need to know that was not the first one-on-one -on -one meeting between him and God. The first one actually goes back a few chapters to Exodus chapter 3. Remember Moses and the burning bush? He was tending sheep in the wilderness, and at the base of Mount Sinai, there was a bush that was on fire that didn't burn. He came up to it, and God told him to take his shoes off because he stood on holy ground. And God and Moses are having a one-on-one, -on -one, and the burning bush says to Moses, I want you to go back to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. I mean, go back to the biggest nation at that time, to the most powerful person that exists at that time and tell him to let a few million of his people go who are the free slave labor in Egypt. And can't you see how Moses does this? Hey, I was talking to this bush in the wilderness and this bush says you got to let a few million people go and he's really fired up about it. Eh, not going to go well. So Moses said like, who should I say is sending me? I better have some kind of name here. And God says, tell him that I am has sent you. God reveals his name. His name is Yahweh. The creator of everything has sent you. Now fast forward a few thousand years. And Jesus is walking. And Jesus is healing. And Jesus is giving life. And people are trying to figure out who is Jesus. And this is what he says. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And immediately they picked up stones to stone him. You know why they picked up stones to stone him? 
He said, my name is I am. Who was the God of Mount Sinai? The God who talked to Moses in the burning bush? I am. In case you wonder if this is true, that Jesus is the same God as the Old Testament, look what it says here in Jude 5. I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, Jesus is the one in the Old Testament who said, don't take my name lightly. And in the New Testament, we don't take Jesus' name lightly. In fact, look what the scriptures say is what should happen in the name of Jesus. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." The best way for us not to take God's name in vain and speak it too lightly is to speak much of the name of Jesus Christ. Because for all eternity will be everyone speaking, praising, exalting, and worshiping Jesus. So the best way to avoid breaking the third command and speaking about God too lightly is to praise and worship Jesus with all of our life enthusiastically. We'll be doing it for eternity. So let's start right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to confess that we have often made too little of the name of your Son. We may not have spoken it as a cuss word, but we've spoken it casually. We've spoken it thoughtlessly. Sometimes we've spoken it disrespectfully. And beginning today, I pray that you would help us to always speak the name of Jesus with great gratitude, great thankfulness, great enthusiasm, because we know the way we speak of Jesus now will ultimately just be a little foretaste of the way we speak of Jesus then in eternity. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.